Welcome to the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the Harper DB team. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Select Star Podcast, hosted by Harper DB. Thanks again for tuning in. Today, we are speaking with a software engineering manager at PayPal, and we're going to be talking a bit about SDKs um, and a couple other topics that I'm excited to jump into. So thank you, Gunsham Bot, for joining us. Uh, yeah, thank you, Margo. I'm excited to be here and excited to talk about, you know, the stuff that um, I've been working on. Awesome. And where are you calling in from today? Um, I am actually from the Bay Area, so I live close to the PayPal headquarters uh, near San Jose. Okay. Awesome. That's a a great area. I haven't been out in a couple years. I usually try to try to visit at least once every year, every other year, but I've been slacking. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been uh, the weather has been actually great lately. Um, so yeah, awesome. uh, that's yeah, that's been great. <laughs> that's what they say. It's the late summer there. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. So before we jump into it, um, would love to hear just a bit about you, your background, kind of your journey in tech. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, my background is uh, I'm, I'm a computer science major. Um, I did my master's in computer science from Northeastern University in Boston. Um, and uh, I've, I've been, you know, uh, in software engineering for like the past uh, decade. Um, and uh, when so, so back in like 2010, um, I started doing some mobile development. Uh, Android was kind of pretty new and upcoming at that point, and I was helping an NGO, um, you know, write an app in Android. Um, and that's how I kind of got introduced um, to Intuit when they were hiring a few mobile engineers from Min.com. Um, and I got hired as an intern um, at Min.com, uh, you know, for on their Android app. Um, and that's how I got into mobile engineering, and I've been, um, you know, kind of doing mobile engineering since then. Um, I worked at Intuit uh, after graduating. They they hired me back um, full time, and so I was working, you know, as an Android developer uh, for Mint. Uh, that was actually really cool because um, it was a very widely used app, um, uh, and it had a lot of like UI elements to it. Uh, I learned a lot about just uh, building delightful UI experiences uh, for our users. Um, and that just really, you know, got me more interested in mobile development. So um, after after Intuit, um, I worked at a startup uh, where we had to build um, an app in Android from scratch. Um, so that was a fun experience as well. Um, and then after that, I kind of got into um, SDK development. Um, I worked at DocuSign uh, where we built an Android SDK for DocuSign from scratch. Um, and so... Uh, that was also fun because I got to use all the latest and greatest technology um, to build, you know, an SDK from scratch. And and oftentimes when you have these large code bases, um, it's you know it's legacy code. But if when you're building something new, you you really got to like up your game because you can now there's it's just a blank uh, slate for you where you can pick and choose what you want. Um, so that was a great experience for me as well. Um, and uh, it's, uh, I, we built the V1 of the Android SDK that we shipped 
Um, and then I joined PayPal, where um, currently I'm working um, on shipping the native checkout SDKs. So within PayPal, uh, checkout is a big organization, and that's a big part of like what check what PayPal does. Um, and my team here um, comprises of Android and iOS engineers, um, and we ship uh, the native checkout um, SDKs. And so an SDK basically is an embeddable um, artifact that our merchants, uh, you know, they use uh, for their buyers who have PayPal um, to go through a native uh, PayPal checkout experience. So, um, yeah, so I guess it's been a decade um, and I've been really working closely with mobile technologies on both Android and iOS. Um, I've kind of seen it, you know, come a long way from what it was in 2010 um, to like what it is today. Um, and it's been a really fun and exciting journey. That's awesome. Wow, thanks for the for the background. It sounds like you've um, had, I guess, a bit of a diverse experience to kind of get to where you are today. And one thing I was I was curious about is what the experience is like. You said you were at a startup for a period of time. And then other than that, it sounds like with DocuSign and PayPal, you've been at larger companies. What's it like sort of having that experience of both? Is, do you find that you like working with larger teams better, or it's kind of just more, you know, what the actual projects are that you're working on that's of interest? Yeah, uh, it's a totally different experience, even I guess like between PayPal and DocuSign, um, where DocuSign, even though it was kind of a larger company, um, the, 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 the the teams were kind of small and had uh, defined charters. Um, at PayPal, uh, it's it's a totally different ballgame where it's it's a really big company, so you really have to work across teams um, to you know ship any product out. Um, and so uh, the uh, now at being at PayPal, I kind of you kind of get a hang of how to deal with cross team collaboration. Um, so I feel like now I do have a hang of it, but um, it is uh, challenging at first. Uh, especially when you come from small companies, um, to have so many moving parts um, in, you know, just being able to get your day-to-day -day job done. Um, so I'd say, I think the best way to kind of navigate, uh, you know, an organizational complexity like this um, is uh, to make sure that your like written and oral communication skills um, are at point and you're able to like explain what needs to be done. You're, you're able to explain, you know, what's happening with your code. Um, and I think if, if you get, if you get to like master that skill of bringing everyone on the same page, um, then, you know, like whether it's working at a startup or working at a big company, you kind of really get that edge. So I'd say like, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that's a good way to look at it. And it's it's not that one is better than the other. It's more just what type of communication works for you. And and do you like wearing a lot of hats and, and having or having more process in place? Like it's, as you said, it can just be very different even from organization to organization. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, let's jump into SDKs. Um, I know you just gave a, a brief kind of overview on what SDKs are in case folks listening aren't familiar. Um, I'm also curious of sort of how SDKs are developed, what companies are are building them and, and who are the customers um, jumping into all that. And it's it's interesting because 
even in the space that I'm in, like we have different SDKs built around using HarperDB and we've had different mm -hmm. just folks from the community sometimes create them for fun. We've also hired yeah. out some individual like, you know, contributors to, to create specific ones, but it, it comes down to with tools like ours, where it's not necessarily like a requirement to use the tool. It's more of a nice to have that can make it a little easier. So I'm curious from the standpoint where you're building them and the, and where you're using them, is it is it a requirement or is it more of like a nice to have and kind of why they're so important? Yeah, uh, no, I think it's a great uh, it's a great question, and I think um, the the need to kind of build an SDK comes when you know your company or your product is selling a solution, uh, whether it be to uh, the enterprise customers that you have, or, you know, whether it be to like the end users who are using your product. So um, thinking about maybe like DocuSign, for example, um, the the goal of having an SDK for DocuSign was because um, for our, because DocuSign is a solution that allows you to like sign documents. Um, and eventually what we want is that our clients who use DocuSign, so like, let's say, you know, if there's like a big phone company um, that is our client. And so whenever you go to like get a new line or a new device, um, you have to sign a contract. Uh, and these apps these days, you know, allow you to do everything from within the mobile app. Um, and so the really the use case that kind of defines why to have an SDK is you want a seamless flow for the end user. Um, so if I am like on my phone and I want to buy a new phone, I want to really uh, you know, I'm on this app that allows me to buy a new phone um, and I have to sign a contract. Why like launch the web um, to load a document on the web and then sign and then come back into the app? Um, or, you know, like why app switch into another app to just sign a document? Uh, why not just have everything completed in the app that you start the process from? But that really um, kind of defines why uh, there is a need for an SDK is for like the end clients or the end like users to have a very seamless experience. Um, that was the case for DocuSign, kind of also the case for PayPal. You know, if I'm like buying on a shopping app, um, um, I, I really don't want to open like a web view, which is like clunky um, to just select, you know, a card that I want to pay with. Uh, why not just have a, a really seamless experience? And so that's why, um, it becomes important that, uh, you know, U.S. DocuSign or U.S. PayPal are living within your clients. Um, uh, so, like, in this case, like, the shopping app or that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, the, the phone app that you're living in, um, you don't really leave that app to finish the experience. Um, and that's the major use case on the companies who are building SDKs. Um, is if you can have a white label product that can sit, you know, outside of your company property. So, for example, um, when we ship the SDK with PayPal, uh, our SDK sits in, you know, like the shopping app or like a, a booking app or travel booking app. Uh, and so it's really a third party um, app that our SDK is sitting in. And so if you can, uh, if you can encapsulate what you do best and you can ship it out so that others who are your clients can use that in the app. I think that's the use case um, where the companies who are building these SDKs are building them. Um, and it, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a complete solution. Um, I know, for example, like there are some apps 
if they'll build um, a really good uh, image loading system, to, like for example, Airbnb, right? They have a lot of images that they show in the app um, and they kind of abstract because they did it really well. Uh, and you know, you you look at the images, there's no latency, you can swipe through them. Um, so they really did like spend a lot of effort. Uh, and what they did is they abstracted the image loading into an SDK, and then they made that open source. So um, if I, as an app, you know, have to use any image loading stuff, I can just use the SDK that Airbnb built. So it's really just um, encapsulating what you do, you know, in parts or as a whole um, uh, into an SDK that you can like ship out um, in, in other apps. I think those are the use cases to build the SDK and the companies who are using it um, you know, are are like these consumer apps um, on the phones, especially where they want the end buyers to have a quick, seamless experience uh, in the entire like process. And so like for shopping, for example, there are just so many things involved in shopping, right? Like you create a cart, you kind of add items. Uh, and then once they do that, you really want your buyers to pay uh, seamlessly. You don't want your buyers to like, feel that friction at the end step um, of like payments when it comes up uh, because then you you lose that user. And so uh, those are the companies who are looking for these solutions um, that they can embed in their apps. So th that's really kind of the, the basis of SDK development from like where I understand it. Okay, got it. That's a really helpful overview. Thank you. Um, and it, so kind of going back to what you touched on, um, who are then the companies that are building these SDKs? Like are sometimes people developing, do you think that it's more common for teams to be developing them internally or are people outsourcing it to individuals or outsourcing it to companies or does it kind of depend on like what the needs are? Are there any recommendations around that? Yeah, it's, it's actually really depends on the needs. It, it took PayPal a really long time, for example, to kind of invest in a mobile SDK. Um, and so it, and then, you know, once the company, if they see the value, um, they will start investing in it. Uh, and then I think there are, I've also seen cases where, uh, like you said, like if there's an open community, uh, people will kind of build out an SDK for you. Uh, so we have seen that happening as well, where, uh, you know, some of the products, uh, that people are really passionate about um, and we have like a good online community about, they will start building these SDKs. And that's mainly because, you know, you want to build it once and be able to use it over and over again uh, versus having to like build it in every app, um, for example. So it's uh, if, you know, if your use case, uh, if you are a company and if you think like, you know, hey, you can put this piece of code you can write it once and you can put it in like 10 different apps out there. Um, then that becomes a use case to build an SDK. Right. That makes sense. That's interesting. And so, so how then is SDK development different from app development? Yeah. Um, I think for, uh, I've, I've done both. I've done the app development and then I've been doing SDK and I think you really, as a developer, if you are a mobile developer, uh, you know, and you're listening to this, I think there's, uh, you need a slight mental shift um, just because, you know, when you're doing an app development, you kind of own the entire app life cycle. Like you own when the app is invoked um, and then, you know, you, you have the app 
packaged and bundled like you like it. Um, but when you're doing an SDK development, you are, you know, you come into the picture um, in in some flows in that app, uh, if not all. Uh, and then you come in at a point where, you know, there's usually a point which is user interactable uh, when your SDK comes into picture. So you really kind of lose that uh, freedom of being able to, you know, use third-party libraries, for example, like, uh, the, you as an SDK might need, you know, another SDK that does a job really well. Uh, and if you want to use it, um, you have to make sure that you are cognizant of, for example, like size not increasing. Because if you are an app and you 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 embed an SDK, you are making that call because you own the app. But when you are an SDK, um, you know, you can't really just add stuff and add features to your SDK without thinking about the size. Uh, because the more of the size that you occupy, you know, the apps are going to have to face that brunt of like a, an increased app size, which means that the users who download your client's app are going to have to like download, you know, like if they're downloading on like phone uh, network, they have to pay more. So all of those considerations come into the picture when you are building an SDK and you don't own the app. Uh, there are other other concerns like security, for example, that you have to keep in mind. Um, you know, just because you don't own the app, uh, maybe your SDK has some proprietary code in it. You want to make sure that you're protecting that code because um, not all apps out there are going to be, you know, like good apps, right? There are going to be malicious apps. That will try to um, that will try to like attack your SDK. That will try to get the information from the SDK, which might be sensitive. So you have to make sure that um, you are protecting yourself against bad actors. So when you're developing an SDK, you cannot assume good intent. Uh, you cannot assume that all of the integrations are going to be good integrations. Um, so you have to keep that in mind when building an SDK. That's like another important point. Um, and then I guess like lastly the the other important point when um or i or i guess like the difference between an sdk development and an app development um is uh you, you there is a risk of uh there's a lot of uh resources that you use in an sdk uh that might also be used by the app for example so uh there's a risk of um overriding the the app overriding you know your SDK resources. So like, for example, if you use um, a name of something like logo, so if you just name your uh, logo that you're showing the SDK as just logo, it's possible that the app also names the resource logo and, you know, your SDK experience will get overridden by the app logo experience. Um, so you have to make sure that you are naming things which are pretty unique to your SDK to reduce the risk of override. Um, there are other things that come into picture like permissions. So if you know if you use these apps on Android and iOS, they will ask for permissions like throwing you a notification. You know they'll ask you permissions for um, autofilling the SMS on Android, uh, and they'll ask you permissions for um, uh, knowing the location of the device. So if your SDK is asking for any of these permissions, um, it's actually attributed to the app um in the play store and app store so uh you really have to think through those flows 
and make sure that you have documentation around, you know, hey, why are you asking for a location permission? Because for the end user, um, the shopping app will be asking for the permission for location. You know, even though it's your SDK that owns that flow, uh, it, see, it seems to the user that, hey, why is this app asking me permission? So uh, you have to be mindful of um, just the, the, the differences between an SDK and an app development and um, the way, the different ways that it can bubble up um, uh, to make sure that, you know, the effort is really minimal for your client apps uh, to integrate with your SDK and that you are not introducing any bugs that are causing, um, you know, issues outside of your flow, but in the app um, that your client owns. So I think like those are the main differences between SDK and app development. Um, there are much more and I'm, I'm happy to talk about it, but I think like these are kind of the major ones to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that all makes sense. There's, and there's some really good reminders in there in terms of do's and don'ts when it comes to SDK development. So it, it I think those are all really helpful tips, especially for folks listening. If you're, if you're new to it or, or just wondering how to get into SDK development. It's, it also sounds like there's some overlap, like while there is some overlap between SDK and app development, um, there's certainly things to keep in mind of why they're different, but it, it it sounds like it's maybe a bit of a natural crossover of if someone's coming from being an app developer, like you mentioned that you have some app development experience that it can help um, if you're transitioning over to SDKs. Oh yeah, totally. Like, yeah, if, if there is so much, you're absolutely right. There's so much common stuff as well. So like, just the entire process um, of like building new features in your SDK is same as, you know, as you would build a new feature in your app. So you get to work with the same IDEs, like you get to work with Xcode and Android Studio. Um, you get to work with the same, you know, kind of resourcing uh, of like strings and images and how you load them. That all remains the same. So if you have a app experience, um, you can totally get started with uh, building mobile SDKs. Awesome. And what would you say would be some good resources to follow if you're doing SDK development? Um, you know, again, whether you're beginner level or even if you're experienced for several years and just kind of looking to stay on top of it since technology is always changing, are there any specific resources out there that have really helped you and your team? Yeah, I think um, uh, apart from uh, the official documentation, you know, on Android and developers.android.com and then developers.apple.com, um, I think they have good, uh, they have like good instructions on if you're building a library on Android or if you're building a library on iOS, you know, what things to keep in mind. Um, so they have good resources that that's probably the first place I would start. Um, but also, you know, chances are that if you are an Android developer and the thing that helped us the most is uh, there are just so many open source libraries out there, especially by Square, um, you know, Square, the company, uh, they have um, some really great libraries out there. So, uh, you know, when we started our SDK development, we would look at some of those open source um, SDKs and, you know, how they have structured the SDK, um, how, you know, they have structured their configuration that starts the SDK flow. So we, uh, that has been a good resource. Um, and then I, I think codeco.com, uh, which previously used to be raywanderlick.com, um, uh, they have some great articles and tutorials on um, how, to, how to write great libraries. So that has helped us a lot as well. Um, so I think um, 
and then uh, and I think there are like some um, uh, other resources like uh, there there are some video tutorials. Um, there are some podcasts uh, uh, that you know like fragmented on Android uh, that that talks about some really good resources if you're building an SDK. Um, so I think uh, and then Stack Overflow of course has so many. Uh, if if you look for the right questions, I think that they have a lot of good content as well on how to structure your SDK, for example, or how to protect uh, your your SDK from obfuscation and and stuff like that. So um, uh, Stack Overflow also has some really great uh, material out there. Awesome, that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, I know when it comes to anything, everyone learns differently, and you know, some people prefer the Stack Overflow style, some people prefer like YouTube or talks. And so it's always good to have um, some diversity there in the options for, I mean, I think that's kind of what, what DevRel and like a lot of the space that I work in is all about is making sure that you have the resources accessible um, for the community and for developers, but not just in the way you like to learn and the way that they might like to learn as well. So I think that's helpful exactly. to kind of hear about like the different communities and different places um, to get involved and kind of resources to follow. Um, so outside of, of SDK development, are there any other tools or technologies that you're really excited about at the moment, or it could be related to SDK development, but just, yeah. I would like to ask folks that it's fun because, you know, there's always so much happening in the tech space and it's hard to know, like what people are excited about, what to be paying attention to. So that's one of my favorite questions to ask. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I'll, I can talk about, you know, just the mobile space in general. I think there's. Um, especially in the last, I guess, like five years, um, I'd say there's been so much rapid development in mobile development. Um, uh, I think like, uh, especially Google, for example, started taking, you know, a stand on, you know, hey, this is how we want you guys to structure your app. Um, so there, like previously, it used to be, you know, uh, there there used to be these online communities where you would go to and be like, hey, how do I, you know, pick an architecture on like, how do I build my app? Um, there used to be like so many different things and there used to be um, Kotlin, for example, when it came out uh, before it, before Google officially announced Kotlin, uh, there was a huge community that already wrote the code in Kotlin for, for Android apps. Uh, and there was like a huge support for it, but then Google came out and made it official. So I guess, um, there's just so much rapid development happening at this point. I think the most, the thing that I'm most excited about in both Android and iOS is, uh, is, you know, this style of declarative, uh, UI. So, uh, you know, Swift UI on iOS and then Jetpack Compose on Android, they both kind of fit this, um, uh, this new paradigm of writing UI. Uh, where, you know, you are just writing less code, uh, you're writing code that's more efficient, um, and you're, it's, you're not working with archaic systems like XML, uh, that, you know, that was the default on Android for a very long time. Um, but, uh, now, you know, things are getting much more composable. Like you can compose a view, you know, all the way down to like a cell or a row that you want to show on the screen. Um, you know, you pass data all the way down. So the data is flowing uh in in a manner that there are no like you know leaks there used to be so many like uh 
leaks just because of the way the data was passed from one screen to another, for example, or from like one view to another on the screen, or, you know, there's just so much happening on how you would handle touches on the screen, you know, how your app handles that. Uh, but all of that is changing really rapidly. Um, and I think that's something that I'm most excited about right now is to see, you know, how Swift UI evolves and how um, Jetpack Compose evolves um, and how, uh, how, how much easier it gets to write complex UI code um, that used to be really difficult before um, and used to, you know, used to write like hundreds of lines of uh, this um, boilerplate code uh, that would just do like this one thing, but now everything is going away and you can replace that hundred lines of code with like two lines of code. Um, so that's something that I guess I'm most excited about in the mobile space. Yeah, no, that's, that's always good to hear. I mean, I'm not super involved in the mobile space. And so I like having that unique perspective, um, and having folks on that, that can talk about it. And it sounds like with anything, I mean, coding and development is, or at least should be just getting easier and easier based on all these tools that we have out there. But I know that it can also be a little bit overwhelming of like, okay, well now I have all these options yes. and what's the best fit for me or for my skill set or for my use case. And so, um, it's always good to hear from experienced folks like yourself of like firsthand of which ones you're focused on or excited about, or thinking could make a real change. Yeah, I think one thing, um, and that's that's a really fair um, concern. You know, if like if you're if you're a, a new grad and if you're looking to get into mobile development, there's just so much things out there that it's easy to get overwhelmed. Um, but you know, I'd say uh, the best way to get through that is writing some like demo applications. You know, there are like tons of material available online where you can just pick something like you can write. You know, something like an IMDB app. Uh, you, you can write something like a photo gallery app. That's like, it's really simple to get started. And then you can test out all these technologies um, and see for yourself and how do they work. Because um, no, no matter how much theory or no matter how much you read about it, um, unless you do it practically, you won't know, you know, how easy it is or how hard it is, or you won't know the pitfalls. Um, so I'd say that's the best thing that I can do as a developer to be on top of the technologies is, um, you know, have some of these sample apps, demo apps. It doesn't have to be a crazy, you know, like idea that you have to build an app, but just something that you can run some experiments with. So that's, that's one thing. And then I guess if you're working in a professional environment, if you're working at a company, um, and like I said, you know, these code bases might, can be large, they can be um, really huge uh, to make any changes to. Uh, but I think the good thing about technologies like 50Y and Jetpack Compose is that it works really well with the legacy systems that are out there. So it doesn't have to be you write your entire in Compose or you get none at all. Um, you can start writing, you know, new features or like new views that you're building in Compose while keeping everything else the way it is, um, and it will still work. So I guess like taking, you know, one step at a time, um, um, I guess uh, that's that's a really big positive um, in just the way that uh, the devs at, you know, Google and Apple are thinking about bringing these new technologies is that um, it, it works with the older stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And I like your advice about just start building, you know, just create a demo 
of some sort, get your hands dirty and just start using these different tools. Cause that's really the best way. I mean, people can recommend all they want and you can, you can read all you want, but until you really, um, just try it out for yourself, it's going to be hard to know what works for you and what doesn't. So I think that's like one of the best kind of takeaways of a lot of people I talk to is like, you won't know what path, you won't know what area of tech or what kind of developer you want to be until you kind of try these different things. So exactly. That's a good yep. reminder. <laughs> awesome. So I know we're, um, we're kind of running out of time already, which is crazy because I feel like this, <laughs> this has flown by, but I was it's... curious, are there, um, is there anywhere I, cause I know we connected cause we're both on the dev network board. And I saw that I think yeah. you spoke at one of their conference, the mobile week conference, not yes. long ago. Is there anywhere else, um, where we can expect to see you coming up like a, an, any other conferences or podcasts at the moment? Um, no, not at the moment. Um, I am, uh, I, I do tweet about a lot of these stuff on Twitter. Um, and so if you want to follow some SDK development tips, um, you know, follow me on Twitter. Um, and uh, I did realize when I started building this SDKs is that there is a lot more help available out there for app developers, uh, but for SDK development, uh, you know, there's, there, there is stuff, but it's like scattered all over the internet. So I am planning to write uh, a few um, uh, articles of, you know, how to get started with SDK development. And I'll be sure to share that on LinkedIn and Twitter, you know, once I have that up as well, um, just, you know, to get something back to the community um, because I've learned a lot from the community. So I just, you know, feel like I should do my part and give something back to them as well. Awesome. Well, that's great. I'll be sure to include um, links in the description then to your LinkedIn and your Twitter and things like that in case folks want to get in touch and really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. It was great chatting with you. Thank you for uh, inviting me to this podcast. Thanks for listening to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places, Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.